What? Oh, are you serious? Oh, hi. <laughs> I am so not paying attention. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. If you were Father Joe Krupp, you would have been ready for... You're serious, right? The show's on? Yes. Okay. Hi. Uh, <laughs> today, we've got uh, some... I think really cool topics I'm excited to go through with you. We're going to talk about universal redemption and immigration. I'm not sure what order. I'm thinking about universal redemption first because I think it'll take less time. Although I'm going to read something really long that I think is cool as heck. I don't know. Awesome. Yeah? Do you have an opinion? I don't. Okay. Uh, the most exciting thing about today is that tomorrow's going to happen unless I die or Jesus comes back. Now, if I die, tomorrow still happens. And technically, it happens for me, but I will be less concerned with tomorrow. Uh, we will be bringing in uh, Father Sean Larkin, who is a... Uh, you've, we've had him on here before. Bishop. And his... What's that? Bishop. Yeah. Well, despite uh, his fake English accent, uh, unlike my really realistic one, um, he is a really holy priest, and I'm excited for you to meet him. Uh, and if you've seen him on the show before, you know what I'm talking about. This is uh, just a beautiful guy. So uh, I'm a little geeked out about that. I can't wait for you to meet him. And then please remember that next week and probably the week after, we won't have the show because I'll be spending time with my wife and kids in Idaho. Uh no. Oh, the ones in Colorado? All right. I don't know. Utah. One of the gals I married. The barista. The barista. I always wonder, like, does she tell people about a time? <laughs> I'm dying to know. If I know. If, 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 like, yeah, this fat, uh, weird priest in a black dress came it. in. I have it. Yeah. We need to do that, that story on TikTok. Yeah. And TikTok will find her. I wonder. I don't remember what she looks like. Isn't that terrible? I just remember the coffee. A quad shot of espresso in a cup of coffee. Oh, you were in Calvary, right? I was in a full... I was in my cassock. Okay. Poor dear. She's probably like left Christianity. Not just the Catholic Church if she was Catholic, but like, now nah, I'm going Hindu. Is Hindu the religion or the race? Hindu's a religion, right? Yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to do a I say maybe universal redemption first. Do, yes. Okay. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to hit universal redemption. And I wanted to thank my buddy, Tony Gratz. I talked with him at Lansing Catholic, and I, I like that dude. Um, and he always sends me interesting things and fun things. And I don't always have a chance to reply, and it never seems to offend him, which means a lot to me. Uh, but one of the things he sent me was this article with, I think it was 27 quotes from scripture that, uh, uh-oh, what? Uh -oh. Okay. So Lydia from Idaho writes, what? I tried to find her here in Botello. No luck. I'm not sure where he stopped for coffee. Can you name the location? Okay, here's what I can tell you. And I'm not being funny Lydia here. Lydia is now my hero. Oh, I love Lydia. And I love your name. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful name? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know what's interesting? I don't know what it means. It's got to be a Greek name, right? L-Y-D-I-A? Yes. It's got to be Greek. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, beautiful name, Lydia. Uh, here's what I remember. 
Um, I should find out. I think I can even find out what year this was. Because I know whose wedding it was. Um, I think. Yes, I know whose wedding it was. So I can find out what year. I can tell you the coffee place was open at like 4 or 5 in the morning. It was pre-6. And not even close. I remember that. And... I just remember they had lights on. It was the only building when I was driving where the inside lights were on and I was the only customer. Um, and I think she'd remember just because again, you know, a large unattractive man in a black dress in Mormon territory, uh, strutting in, half dying, and then proposing to you, that seems memorable. <laughs> Right. That's what I mean. Her therapist has got to know the story, but they can't break confidentiality. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Lydia, we're going to get after this. Sis. I'm going to find out what year this was. Um, I do have, we have an... We have to know if Lydia is on TikTok, because we'll definitely... I think we have to take this to TikTok, and we have to get Lydia involved. Okay. Another thing I remember, actually, that I don't think was embarrassing. I think it's funny. But there was an extremely embarrassing moment I've had at that wedding that I don't know if I've ever told the story, because I don't know if anyone will find it funny. Because it wasn't funny. Like, I was like, oh, no. Okay? I never go anywhere for weddings that I don't have to. But I did this because I love the mom of the groom, right? And she asked, we're going to pay for your flight out there and all that kind of stuff, right? My uh, ear, I knew it. Can you see it? Okay. Um, but in my head, I had never done this before. So basically, I brought my stuff to do a wedding, and I brought my clerics. And... Uh, so we get there and I settle in and they were like, well, come on out for the barbecue. And it was hot. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, oh, you know, and, and I, ugh, and I hate heat, hate, hate, hate. And they were like, father, go put something else on. I'm like, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> like when I packed, I can put on my vestments for the wedding and I can put on my clerics. And otherwise, all I have is what I sleep in, right? And they were like, no, go ahead. I'm like, no, no, it's a shirt without sleeves, okay, uh, and gym shorts. And frankly, these are wealthy people, so I already felt, like, really out of place. And in the end, they convinced me. And I was two steps out the door in gym shorts and tank tops, tank top. And I got some ink. Uh, and this wasn't a point where people were doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like, seriously. Well, one person said, I've never seen a tattoo before. I'm like, oh, that's not a tattoo. It's crayons. And, um, I don't even know how to explain how awkward and out of place I felt. And, and I always feel that way. But this was like times a thousand. And so what I did, it was a fenced in yard and I truly did this. I literally backed into the farthest, most remote corner and I put my booty against the fence and I let the adults talk. And then as happens, because these are all family, they all know each other, and I'm just some weird priest that three people know. Uh, they're all talking to each other, and I'm like, thank 
God. And now I'm thinking, and I'm like this, and you know how you feel someone looking at you? And I look, and like two of the groom's brothers in their, you know, polo shirts with the appropriate animal above the left breast are so, are literally, like there was nothing subtle. They were making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> right like like the, their dress down was you know shorts that i couldn't afford shirts that i wouldn't wear and couldn't afford and uh and then there's this redneck in gym shorts inked up and again people weren't doing that yet standing like this and i caught them catch me and then I just went to my room. I was like, I don't give a shit. Uh, oops, sorry. I just said it. But that is what I thought in my head. I don't care. And so I went to my room like, oh, Father, don't you want to eat? Nope, not even a little. Because I could have put the clerics back on, but the genie's out of the lamp. And then I ended up leaving early, the wedding early, because one of my sister's got a, and everything's fine, a very bad diagnosis from their doctor. And I was like, I got to get home. So after the wedding, I was supposed to go spend a couple days with them. And again, in what? I don't know. I can wear clerics. I can wear my vestments. Or I can go full redneck. And you don't want full redneck. And I don't want you to see full redneck. That's a true story from the same visit where I proposed to a barista in Idaho who had the best comeback ever. Well, this is very sudden. Can you imagine if you would have given most people a year to come up with a reply, they couldn't have come up with better than that. Well, this is very sudden. Let's just get coffee first. So anyway, thanks to my boy, Tony Gratz. I love you, bro. Um, he sent an article with a lot of biblical verses on it about um, Jesus saving the whole world. And it was really fascinating. Um, there was no commentary or anything about it. The person was just like, so let's get to it. What is universal redemption? It is a belief that some have that basically everyone is going to heaven that isn't the devil or demons, that in the end, Jesus is going to save everyone. Um, does the church reject this? Yeah, ish, okay? Uh, and why? As I've said a lot on here, and I wish Catholics would listen to this, the church never says who's in hell because we have no idea how deep the mercy goes. We have no idea how deep the love goes. And our ideas of love and mercy are so messed up that we can't predict what real love, real mercy does. Yeah? And that's a big thing for us. What does the church say you need to believe? You need to believe in hell. As a Catholic, you need to believe in hell and you need to believe in the devil. Um, there was a period, the priests like the generation before me seemed really uncomfortable with the idea of the devil and not in a way you would hope, right? Like, yeah, be uncomfortable. He's, he's awful, but more like, I think in five of the parishes I took over, the priests had crossed out the prayer of exorcism in the baptism ritual. Holy cow. 
right? So for when you do a baptism with a little squiggly and it's not an emergency, right? It's your standard operating baptism. You do this greeting at the beginning. You, you claim the child for Christ and then you put your hands over or on them and you pray a prayer of exorcism. Protect this child from evil. Deliver them from darkness. And I can't tell you how many times I opened up the baptismal rite and a priest had crossed off the exorcism. Okay. The devil is real. And um, yeah. So we believe in the devil. We believe in hell. Do we believe, what do we have to believe? That it's possible there's people there. Now, you're going to get people, and I don't know if they're the kind who listen to this show, but who anytime you talk about this get disproportionately angry um, for two reasons. One, they misunderstand this idea. Does that mean Buddhists? Well, what about how can they get to heaven without Jesus? Well, they can't. No one can get to heaven without Jesus. But some people don't know Jesus. And it's still then Jesus who gets them there. Um, and I don't think I need to go into that a ton. But, uh, okay. So <laughs> this is from the catechism. Uh, catechism 1037 which was also the year I was born. Okay, that's not true. God predestines no one to go to hell. Uh, for this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy and in the daily prayers of her faithful, the church implores the mercy of God who does, who, quote, does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So to be clear, God's hunger is to get everyone there and he will stack the deck in whatever way he needs to. However, you and I, and it usually begins with a mortal sin that we then get comfortable with. So what is a mortal sin? It's uh, just think CIA, circumstance, intent and action. Circumstance, you're free to not sin. Intention, your intention in sinning needs to be evil or apathetic. And then A, action, it needs to be a serious matter. So when you take a serious matter and you're free to not sin, and you sin anyway because you don't, you know it's a sin and you don't care, or you even like that it's a sin, that's a mortal sin. And your soul is damaged by it in a unique way that requires a special intervention by our God through the sacrament of reconciliation. Does this make sense? Yes. Now, what happens with most of our sin, at least in my life, I noticed, and I'm, I'm down to two sins. Uh, one of them, I'm, I'm just too humble. Uh, the other is a complete lack of self-awareness. Um, but, and I see this in our country, right? And some of our national debates, we get so entrenched in what we want to be true that we begin to hate the truth. And that the person you can't break through, right? And this happens uh, with people. I've seen it uh, where they sacrifice their freedom and um, some part of them knows it's wrong, but they pretend that they know, they, they believe it's right. 
yeah, am I making sense? That messes you up, guys. That messes you up proper. Um, and so the reason I'm bringing this up, and this just blew me away, last night, I'm reading a book, and it's a fiction book, um, and this guy, and he's got to be a Christian of some sort, or at least deeply familiar with Christianity, describes a man who died and chooses hell, and I'd like to read it to you. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm not recommending this book. Some of you would hate it. It is a dark and sad book. The quote-unquote hero of the book is a horrible person a deeply broken person. And in the book, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a bit here. But this is this author's idea of how people end up in hell. Okay. Uh, so the main character has been killed. And that's the last line of this chapter. And then the next line, are we with me? This is a quote from a book called The Prince of Thorns. Quote, I swallowed darkness and darkness swallowed me. This guy's a good writer, by the way. Without light, without the beat of a heart to count time, you learn that eternity is nothing to fear. In fact, if they just leave you to it, an eternity alone in the dark is a welcome alternative to the business of living. But then the angel came. The first glimmers felt like paper cuts on my eyes. The illumination built from a distant pinpoint, splinters of light lodging in the back of my mind. A dawn came, and in an instant, or an age, I know not, darkness fled, leaving no hint to, of shadow to record its passage. The main character's name is Jorg. Okay. Jorg, the voice flowed through the octaves, an echo of every kind word and every fulfilled promise. Hello. My voice sounded like a cracked reed. Hello. But what do you say to heaven when you meet her? Two syllables, weakness and doubt undermining both. She opened her arms. Sorry. Come to me. I crouched naked on the floor. Too, uh, excuse me. I crouched naked on a floor too white for any shadow to dare exist. I could see the dirt on my limbs like veins. I could see the blood, the blood from the wound that killed me, dried and black as sin. Come, she said. I tried to look at her, no point in her held constant, as if definition were a thing for mere mortals, a reduction that, would, that her essence would not allow. She had the eyes of everyone who ever cared, and wings. She had those two, but not white and feathery, Rather, she had wings in the sense of a surety of flight, the potential of sky wrapped around her. I crouched there, a knot of flesh and bone, only dirt and blood defining me under the scrutiny of her brilliance and beauty. Come to me, she said. She opened her arms, a mother's arms, a father's arms, a friend's arms. I looked away, but she drew me still. I felt her breathing. I felt the promise of redemption. I had but to lift my eyes, and she would forgive me for all. No, I said. Her surprise fluttered between us, a palpitation of light. I felt tension in the muscles of the jaw, the bitter taste of my anger, hot at the back of my throat. Here at last was something I knew, hate and anger. Put aside your pain, Jorg. Let the blood of the lamb wash your sins away. 
There was nothing false in her. She stood transparent in her naked concern for me. The angel held her gifts, held her gifts in open hands, compassion, love, pity. But it was one gift too many. My old smile found its foundation and twisted my lips. I stood nice and slow. Quote, the lamb doesn't have enough blood for my sins. You may as well hang a sheep for me as a lamb. No sin is too great to repent, she said. There's no evil that cannot be put aside. She meant it, too, I could tell. No lie could ever pass those lips. The truth was self-evident. I met her eyes then, and the wash of her love, so deep, so without condition, nearly carried me away. So I dug deep and I fought her. I manufactured my broken smile again, crushing myself for my foolishness. Quote, I left few sins untasted. I then stepped toward her. I cursed. I coveted my neighbor's ox. I stole it and I ate it. I finished it with gluttony, the deadly sin, the first sin. The hurt in her eyes hurt me, but I'd lived a life striking blows that cut both ways. I moved around the angel and my blood-stained feet racked the floor. Quote, I coveted my neighbor's wife and then I took her. Murder too. Oh yes, murder and more murder. I left so few sins untasted, and had I not died so young, I'm sure I could have met you with a fuller list. Anger raged through me, any tighter and my teeth would explode. I told her if I'd lived but five minutes longer, you could have put patricide at the head of my sins. She said, it can be forgiven. I told her, I do not require forgiveness. Veins of darkness reach across the floor, growing outward from where I stood. Please, child, let it go. A warmth and a humor ran through her words so strong it nearly carried me with her. Her eyes stood as windows to a world of things made whole, a place built of tomorrows. It could all be made right. I knew it. I could taste it. I could smell it. But I held my anger. I drank from my well of poison. These are not good things, but at least they're mine. I could go with you, my lady. I could take what you offer, but who would I be then? Who would I be if I let go of the wrongs that made me this man? She said, you would be happy. I told her someone else would be happy, not me. A Yorg without pride isn't Yorg anymore. I am no one's dog. I'm not yours and I'm not his. That's something. That, that, that's this idea. And I'm sorry for such a long passage, but I found that captivating. And I just read it last night and I'm like, I gotta, this is it. How can a good and loving God allow people to go to hell or send people to hell? He doesn't, but he lets them pick it. Because if you've spent your whole life perverting the word love, then when you see love face to face, you'll hate it. You'll call it hate. He saw his sin as him. And because of that, he chose his sin over love. Did you find that powerful or is that just me? You could tell me the truth. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when we talk about universal redemption, the church rejects the idea that there's no hell or no devil. She also says, we don't know if anyone's in hell. We believe it's a possibility for anyone. But our concept of love, justice, and mercy is so perverted compared to God's that we can't guess. And it does us no good to guess. 
it also does us no good to be furious about it, right? And there's a number like Bishop Barron, uh, whatever your thoughts on him, has done some extraordinary things. But a lot of American Catholics did, are doing what Americans do. He said one thing once that I disagree with, so he's bad. And one of the things he said when talking to a Jewish leader seemed to lead some people to believe he believed in, in universal redemption. And it infuriated them. I think it should fill you with joy, right? I'm not following Jesus because I want to go to heaven. I'm following Jesus because that's what I was made to do. And if I get heaven out of the deal, yay. But this is a life that fills me with joy. Do you think this guy in this book is happy? What did he say? I wouldn't know what happiness is. I know my sin. So I'm sticking with that. This is the key, guys. You and I who love Jesus, we can follow him because we want heaven, right? That's huge. But if that's the only reason, we're going to lose sight because you can't quite see heaven yet. The gap between here and heaven is so obnoxiously clear, but heaven itself is very muddled for us. So in the end, we'll choose what we can see. We'll choose what's louder because that's part of our brokenness. Follow Jesus because he's worth it because that's what you were made to do. The fact that you might get heaven one day well, yay. <laughs> but like I, that great quote from Mother Teresa, it's heaven all the way to heaven and it's hell all the way to hell. Um, I think I shared this with you before. Dad and I watched a biography on uh, Rockefeller and there is no scale we currently have for how wealthy he was. But when they were doing this, they started off and said, to be clear, when John Rockefeller died, he was the wealthiest man in the history of our country and he still is. Um, so they then did this scale. You adjust for inflation and you adjust for the economy growth. If you, if he was alive today, he could buy Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, and I forget the third one off of the interest he was earning on his accounts off of the, right. He had one fifth of the country's gross domestic product. That was his personal wealth. Holy cow, okay? But even when he was old, he was still doing petty and crazy things to buy small companies and not buy them at a fair price, but to take them. And when someone said to him, what more do you want? What do you want that you don't have? And he said, quote, more. Isn't that something? What do you want that you don't have? I want more. I don't have more. Now, I'm not saying he was evil. I, to be honest, I assume <laughs> he wasn't right. But that's you and I when we let ourselves be ruled by anything but God. Um, it becomes our master. And unlike God, it doesn't love us. Uh, yeah. Every addict can tell you this, right? And as a guy who struggled with addiction, I can tell you this. There's not a finish point, right? There's not a point with one of the great lines. One time is too many and a thousand won't be enough. There's not a point where you are done with a thing. There's not a point where that thing's done with you. 
you know, the, another a, a great AA line, right? If you're wrestling with a bear, it ain't done when you say it's done. <laughs> and that's how it works for us. When we follow Jesus, we don't give up our freedom. We gain our freedom. When we follow our desires, we lose our freedom. I have people, oh, freedom means I can do what I want. No, because then you end up a slave to what you want. Uh, so when we talk about universal redemption, one of the key things to remember is that you and I are going to follow Jesus because it makes us better humans. And it is the purpose for which we were created. And the fact that someday we'll be with him forever in heaven, that's chewy goodness. That's the best. And that's our hope. On the days where we can't touch or smell heaven, we can remember heaven. So we call hope. If I get there and there's nobody in hell, I'll be ecstatic. I don't want anyone in hell. And if we say, well, well, what's the reward for those of us who've done what's right? Um, the reward was you did what's right. And if you can't see that, then you might be a virtuous rule follower instead of a follower of Jesus. Do you think Paul was happier or Nero? Well, I'll tell you this. One of them committed suicide and it wasn't Paul. Okay. The wealthiest, most powerful man in the world who sentenced Paul to death. Do you think he was happy? He killed himself. He killed his mom, his mom's last words, right? I told you the best last words in Roman history, quote, his mom's last words as her son is killing her, quote, smite my womb. <laughs> Who do you think was happier? Do you think if Paul got to heaven and saw Nero, he was like, well, what the hey? Why is he doing here? If you can't rejoice at the possibility that everyone might be in heaven someday, then you don't know Jesus. I'm sorry. You might know his rules and his regulations. And that's great. That might get you there. But you will not be a happy Christian. Yeah? Woo! All right. I'm just going to do this. Fulton Sheen, a uh, few quotes, right? Fulton Sheen, I love him. He says, when we get to heaven, there's going to be three surprises. Did I ever tell you this? No. Okay. He said, surprise number one, we're going to be surprised we're there. <laughs> right? When we see heaven, our first answer will be, what am I doing here? Uh, number two, we're going to be surprised at who else is there. And then number three, do you know this one? We're going to be surprised at who ain't there. Okay, that's Fulton Sheen. I love that. Yeah. Uh, also, now here's a quote from Pope Benedict, who I just think is so insanely beautiful. I'm going to read it slow because the man didn't know how to have an easy thought. Right? Grace, that's strength from heaven. That's God's mercy and goodness. Grace does not cancel justice. It does not make a wrong into a right. Grace is not a sponge that wipes everything away so that whatever anyone has done on earth being, ends up being of equal value. Evildoers in the end do not sit at the table of the eternal banquet beside their victims without distinction, as though nothing happened. Here, I would like to quote Plato which expresses a premonition of a just judgments that in many respects remain solitary, healthy, uh, and true for Christians also. Albeit using mythological images, Plato expresses the truth with an unambiguous clarity, saying that in the end, all souls stand naked before the judge. It no longer matters what they once were in history. It matters what they were in truth. Okay. 
okay? And then here's the quote from Plato. Uh, quote, yes, for struggle to be good rather than bad is important, much more important than people think. Therefore, we mustn't be tempted by honor, rule, money, or even poetry into neglecting justice and the rest of virtue. Isn't that powerful? I love Benedict. Ugh. I wish the American media didn't hate him so much so we all could have just soaked in the beauty of this thoughtful, quiet, lovely man. Ugh. So those are some thoughts on universal redemption. Is everyone going to heaven? I don't know. Uh, and I don't care in a good way. I hope everyone goes to heaven. And I'm not following Jesus so I can get a treat when I die. I'm following Jesus because that's what gives me life and that's what I'm made for. Um, yeah. Although, I'll take the treat when I die. Did you try these coffee crisps? Today's show is brought to you by Heinz Ketchup. Red gooey goodness in your belly, but never on a hot dog. We got to get Heinz to sponsor me. We do. And I want millions. I'm a big deal. Okay, like Heinz ketchup, a big deal. So <laughs> what we're going to talk about now is what the Catholic Church teaches about immigration. And I got to give a couple of these, okay? This is, see with this hand motion? If you can't see me, I'm making a hand motion, and I don't even know what it means, but it's what I'm doing. First of all, um, they are not writing to American politicians, and if you're going to hear this as a Republican or a Democrat, just turn it off. Uh, if you're going to hear this as a Catholic who's ready for God to mold your heart and mind, let's dance, right? Number two, don't do the, well, I just want them to follow the laws unless you know what the laws are or unless your kid is going willing to go do the work we keep begging them to come over to do. And I'm dead serious. If you're not willing to pick fruit, never gripe about the people picking fruit. Gripe about a government that let, that sneaks them in and then tells them, but you're not citizens. You're good enough to work here and we're and good enough to take our stuff, our taxes. We're good enough. You're good enough for us to tax you and to put you to work, but you can't be a citizen. Not unless you jump through the 75 year process that your ancestors and mine never had to do. Okay? And you never hear people griping about any kind of immigration in this country but Mexican. And there are other ethnic groups coming here in bigger numbers. They can afford it, right? So you can buy American citizenship. I should let this go, shouldn't I? Yep. I'm not doing church teaching now. I'm just, sure, sure, sure. So, all right, let's start with this. Oh, and then the last thing. Remember this when some jerk tells you, well, the church needs to remember that immigration's a pro-life issue too. They were saying it before your political masters told you to say that. They've been writing this stuff forever. We just don't want to hear it. And we won't research. We won't go to the USCCB and look up what they have to say. Instead, we'll wait till our political masters tell us what they're saying. And that's messed up. Yeah, messed up. Every time the church writes about immigration, go look. Go look on the USCCB Facebook page, right? Church releases a statement on immigration. First reply every time. What about abortion? You never talk about abortion. You're tools of the Democrat Party. And then the next day, here's the right to life statement. What about immigration? You got to be pro-life, man. You're just pro-birth. Oh, my God. Knock it off. There. 
Partisanship is killing us. I, okay. So let's start with, this is the USCCB document. I'm not giving you my original thoughts because those are stupid. I'm going to give you what the USCCB released on immigration, just one of the 9,000 statements. And first what they do is say, let's look at the biblical vision of a love for strangers. Both the Old and New Testament tell compelling stories of refugees forced to flee because of oppression. Exodus tells the story of the Jews, the chosen people, who were victims of bitter slavery in Egypt. They were utterly helpless by themselves, but with God's powerful intervention, they were able to escape and take refuge in the desert. And for 40 years, they lived as wanderers with no homeland. Finally, God fulfilled his ancient promise and settled them into a new land they could call home. The Israelites' experience of living as homeless aliens was so painful and frightening that they cooperated with God's call in, in Leviticus 19. Ready? Quote, you shall treat the alien who resides with you no different than the natives born among you. Have the same love for them as for yourself. You too once were immigrants and aliens. Holy cow, right? That's in the Bible. That's a very thick book. You should read it sometime. So God's command to you and me is to love the alien who resides with us and to treat them no differently than those born in our country. The New Testament story begins with Matthew's story of Joseph and Mary's escape to Egypt with their newborn son, Jesus, because the paranoid and jealous King Herod wanted to kill the baby. Now, you know, I see all the uh, little memes right out there. Jesus was an immigrant. No, he wasn't. He was a migrant. It's a different thing. He was moving from one part of the Roman Empire to another part of the Roman Empire. You don't move from Ohio to Michigan and say, I'm an immigrant. Okay, but people always, you know. Uh, knowing the Bible this much is probably the most dangerous thing. You need to know it well. Yeah. Jesus re uh, reiterates the Old Testament command to love and care for the stranger and says, this is a criteria by which we will be judged. Matthew 25, 35. When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? The Apostle Paul asserts the absolute equality of all people before God. Quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. In Christ, the human race is one before God, equal in dignity and rights. God doesn't judge Mexicans different than Americans. Although, actually, I think he will. Depending on, yeah, okay. So the church says there are three basic principles of Catholic social teaching on immigration. Let's go with first principle. Number one, people have the right to migrate to sustain their lives and the lives of their families. Um, how are we doing on time? I got to know how much. 20 minutes. Okay. Woo. When there is a massive movement of people, such as during a war, natural disaster, or famine, the lands that receive these displaced peoples may feel threatened. The influx may make it impossible for the native population to live securely. Uh, even in more orderly migrations, such as in the U.S., citizens and residents of the land may fear that newcomers will take their jobs, their land, their resources. And because of this belief that newcomers compete, newcomers compete for scarce resources, immigrants and refugees are at times driven away, resented, or despised. Nevertheless... Yeah. 
the first principle of Catholic social teaching regarding immigrants is that people have the right to migrate to sustain their lives and the lives of their family. This is based on biblical and ancient Christian teaching that the goods of the earth belong to all. While the right to private property is always defended in Catholic social teachings, individuals do not have the right to use private property without regard for the common good. Every person has an equal right to receive from the earth all that is necessary for life, food, clothing, shelter. Moreover, every person has the right to an education, medical care, freedom of religion, and the expression of their culture. In many places, people live in fear, danger, or dehumanizing poverty, and clearly, it is not God's will that some of his children live in luxury while others have nothing. So to make this clear, when we're sitting in our big, beautiful homes and we're, we're worried about those poor, dirty people coming here, we are the sinners in that scenario. We either believe what Jesus says or we don't. And there's not really a middle um, that we should be willing to part with any non-essential for the good of someone who needs essentials. Uh, I just uh, talked to a priest yesterday who had a parishioner. Are you ready for this? Who tithes, tithes 50% of his income. And I said, oh, is he a millionaire? No. He needs 50% of his income to sustain his family and his house in relative comfort. And the rest, he says, that don't belong to me. Holy crap. Right? The guy told him, I don't need anything at 50% of my income. And I'm not going to tell them, give me less money. I'm going to give that money to poor people. 50%. Holy crap. Dad only did 49 Oh, he's asleep. Shoot. Okay. The native person does not have superior human rights over the immigrant. Before God, all are equal. The earth was given by God to all. When a person cannot achieve a meaningful life in his or her own land, they have the right to move to a place where they can. Okay. The second, how are we doing? Yeah, are people getting all saucy? Okay, second principle. A country has the right and duty to regulate its borders and control immigration. The overriding principle of all Catholic social teaching is that individuals must have economic, political, and social, must make economic, political, and social decisions not out of short-sighted self-interest, but with regard for the common good. This means that a moral person cannot consider only what is good for me or for my family. They must act with the good of all people as their guiding principle. While individuals have the right to move in search of a safe and humane life, no country is bound to accept all who wish to resettle there. By this principle, the church recognizes that most immigration is ultimately not something to celebrate. Ordinarily, people do not leave the security of their own culture for mere adventure's sake or to enhance their way of life. Instead, they tend to migrate because they are desperate and the opportunity for a safe and secure life does not exist in their own land. 
Most immigrants and refugees endure many hardships and often long for the homes that they have to leave behind. As Americans, we should cherish and celebrate the immigration, the, the contributions of immigrants and their cultures, and we should work hard to try to make it necessary for people to not have to leave their own land. There seems to be no end to poverty, war, and misery in the world. And developed nations will continue to experience pressure from those who desire to resettle in their land. Catholic social teaching is realistic. While people have the right to move, no country has the duty to receive so many immigrants that its own economic and social life are crippled. So uh, for this reason, Catholics should not view the work of the federal government and its immigration control as negative or evil. Those who work to enforce the nation's immigration laws do so out of a sense of loyalty to the common good and compassion for the poor seeking a better life. The church recognizes that the ideal world where there is no need for immigration is not achieved. So now they're balancing out that we have a right and a duty to secure our borders and to make sure that the immigration we experience doesn't cripple us, right? It doesn't help to make, just change where the poor people live. Um, Romans were masters at this. Uh, and, and it's funny how many anti-immigration people totally misunderstand Roman immigration policy. There's a great section on it in a book called The Fall Before the Fall by Mike Duncan. But Roman immigration policy was pretty ingenious. What they understood was we need a constant influx of immigrants, right? That we have to have a constant flow of people coming out from outside of Rome into Rome. And when I say Rome, I mean the empire, not the city. Why did they understand this? Because the people in their country were getting rich and comfortable, which meant they wouldn't do hard work. And so you need people to do hard work. And people who come, who move from their home to seek hard work, those are the folks you want. Because what are they going to do? They're going to raise up a generation of hungry children. And when I say hungry, I don't mean physically. I mean people who are going to work hard. If you know this, this concept in sociology, it's called the second generation. The second generation from an immigrant family usually blows up. Huge success. And how do they get that success? By fighting through incredible hardships, having an insane work ethic compared to the privileged people around them. Okay? Um, and so what did Rome do, though? Well, when your tribe, so let's say you're a tribe of Visigoths, and you show up at the border over by the, uh, what's the river with the D up there? Um, anyway, when you show up there, they accept you. I mean, right frickin' now. Yes. And then they split you up. Okay. This family, you're going to that end of the empire and here's land. And they gave them land, right? This family, you're, why? Too many of you guys in one spot and you might not become Roman, right? So they spread them out all over the empire. And what happened, there was an influx of new culture realities, but it didn't overwhelm the current reality. Now, and I mean this, most of the things I've read on the internet literally get it the exact opposite. Did Rome fall because of immigration, uh, Western Empire? Again, uh, there's 900 reasons the Roman Empire fell in the West, not the East. 
them, one of them was, yeah, it was immigration. What happened? They stopped immigration. There came within the Roman elite an anti-immigrant policy, and they started shutting the doors and not letting people come in. And their culture never freshened, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and they started running out of humans to work their farms and to fight their wars because they sure aren't going to send their rich kids off to do that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? How are we doing? Good. Yeah. Was it the Danube? Or was Danube. Who said it? Thank you. Whoever that was, it was the Danube. Bless your beautiful hearts. Okay. And in fact, if you want, here's a really interesting thing. And if this isn't interesting, tell me if people are like, what the hey? One of the biggest disasters in Roman immigration policy happened at the Danube when, uh, before the Romans were aware of Attila the Hun and his brother Bleda, Bleda was still alive at that point, they were kicking the tail out of all these German tribes, which the German tribes were not used to, right? They weren't used to losing. Uh, but here came these um, steppe warriors. Uh, and so they started pushing on Rome's boundaries. And this is when Rome was going through one of their little anti-immigration phases, so they were like, no. And then they were like, well, yeah, but, and it, it just turned into a mess. So you know what they did? They stormed the, the gates, blew past the Roman defenses. And again, it wasn't even that they wanted to be Romans. They didn't want to run into the Huns. And uh, because uh, Rome so messed with these folks, I think it was Goths, I'm 80% sure, they never got separated. And they ended up in a big clump in the middle of the Roman Empire. And pretty soon, we're running things. Yeah. So their efforts to preserve their culture, which was nothing to write home about at that point, lost them their culture. It's really a fascinating thing. And they didn't believe these guys about Attila. Now, when he showed up and killed, I don't know, everybody, then the Romans were like, maybe they were right. So who did they do? Do you know this? They called the Goths. Come help us. <laughs> Sorry, just an interesting little trivia yeah. point. Okay, so I've given you the first two principles, right? Let's review them real quick. Uh, I got to scroll up. People have the right to migrate to sustain their lives and the lives of their family. Second principle, countries have the right and duty to regulate their borders and control immigration. Principle number three, a country must regulate its borders with justice and mercy. Okay. A country's regulation of borders and control of immigration must be governed by concern for all. It must be, um, what do you say? I just lost my spot. A nation must not simply decide that it wants to provide for its own people and no others. A sincere commitment to the needs of all must prevail. In our modern world, where communication and travel are easier, the burden of emergencies cannot be placed solely on nations immediately adjacent to the crisis, right? This is what happened in Greece, and uh, yeah. Justice dictates the world community contribute resources towards shelter, food, medical services, and welfare. Even in the case of less urgent migrations, a developed rate nation's right to limit regulation, limit immigration must be based on justice, mercy, and the common good above self-interest. Immigration policy ought to take into account other important values, such as the right of families to live together, 
a merciful immigration policy will not force married couples or children to be separated from their families for long periods. Um, this is the whole kids in cages thing. And you may remember how this whole talking point started, right? Uh, the New York Times published a picture, it was Trump's first year, of all these immigrants' uh, children in cages. Do you remember this? And everyone blew up, Trump is a monster. And then it turns out, right in the bottom corner of the picture, the date was three years earlier. Uh, those were cages built during the Biden-Obama administration. Those children, those, that was a three-year-old picture. But the people who decide what things you see didn't tell you about it when a Democrat was doing it, only when a Republican was doing it. Um, and all that goes to is, again, this demon of tribalism in our country. The people who publish that picture, they don't care about immigrants. They care about getting their people elected. And as long as you and I don't pay for our news, someone's paying for it, right? You got to remember that. Um, this has been a policy of the U.S. And again, it's not like Obama, Trump, Biden, whomever are like, hey, let's toss some kids in cages. It is such a convoluted mess right now. Um, because countries that we destabilized in the 80s and 90s, right? El Salvador, Honduras, we destabilized those countries intentionally. And this isn't conspiracy theory. That's what we did. That was our policy. Well, now people are trying to flee because they're destabilized. Um, and we have this thing, and it says... Uh, what does it say? Uh, the Statue of Liberty. Uh, give us your hungry, your poor, your tired, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And then we get there and we're like, oh, not you. We met Europeans. <laughs> right? And again, as people remember, if your parents came over, right, and the number one ethnic group in the country is Germans. Number two is Italians. Number three is Irish. And you know what those three have in common? They're not American first. That we came here. And the immigration policy back then was, yeah, we need workers. Here, sign this. Uh, and here's some land. Go. It was three-month quarantine to make sure you didn't bring over any viruses we hadn't found yet. And you learned um, the Bill of Rights and the three branches of government, which most high schoolers can't name now. Right? Truly. Isn't that funny? Did you see that? They asked the kids what the Bill of Rights was, and, it, and they did this whole thing in a school, and it was the top-rated academic school in New York, and they were like, they thought the Bill of Rights was like a bill. Oh, like, they owe money. Someone owed money. It was, it was a wreck. Uh, but anyway, that's how it worked. Now, again, look up for yourself. See what it takes for a person fleeing violence and poverty, and we need them. Do you get that? When you think, why is fruit? Do you notice how expensive fruit is? It's because we stopped taking immigrants in for so long. I'm serious, right? So we got to think this through. And the church says we got to think it through as humans. Um, and not let the crazy right or the crazy left dictate our talking points. Let's let Jesus dictate our talking points. We need a rational, simplified structure to bring in the people who want to live here and to stop those when we've had enough.
Undocumented immigrants present a special concern. Often their presence is considered criminal since they arrive without legal permissions. Under the harshest views, they may be, may be viewed as undeserving of rights and services. And then this is again, but this is not the view of Catholic social teaching. The Catholic Church teaches that every person has basic human rights and is title, entitled to have those needs met. Food, shelter, clothing, education, and health care. And again, people, that costs us billions. The war in Iraq cost us $2 billion a day. Were you bothered by that? Ugh. Undocumented persons are vulnerable to exploitation by employees, and they cannot complain because of fear of deportation. Current immigration policy criminalizes the mere attempt to immigrate and imprisons immigrants who have committed no crime or, served a or already served a just sentence for a crime. The church calls that immoral. In the Bible, quote, listen to this. This scared me. God promises our judgment will be based off how we treat the most vulnerable. Before God, we cannot excuse inhumane treatment of certain persons by claiming that their lack of legal status deprives them of the rights of their, given by their creator. So, and it goes on to a saying, this is why, like in the Catholic Church, and I experienced this in one of the schools I was at, we had illegal immigrant children in our school. And we educated them because what's the alternative, right? Um, and why? Well, they're God's kids and they're my kids and your kids. They were born in a different country, but we need their dad to come here and do the work you guys and we won't. So Catholic hospitals <coughs> are big on this, right? <clears throat> Quote, it is the position of the Catholic Church that pastoral, educational, medical, and social services provided by the church are never conditioned on legal status. This is where you get our Catholic hospitals who never get credit for this because it's not a talking point that benefits the left or the right. And what is that policy? If you go in a hospital that's Catholic, you get care. You just do. Well, what if we don't have insurance? You get care because that's what we do. We put our money where our mouth is. And I love that about our church. There's so many things that are beautiful about us despite our flaws. So as you can tell, this is something I feel passionately about. And I want to be clear. It's not a position I want to take. This is one the church had to change me slowly over time, processing it. Because uh, I kept buying the whole thing that it's either open borders or it's, you know, guns and turrets and keep those people out. Um, somewhere between there is a call for you and I, and the politicians won't do it, because uh, right now it's just a better to have it as a talking point to get your vote. That's why you don't see any action on it. Right. You know, uh, who pointed this out to me? Oh, Democrat. This buddy mine's a Democrat-ish. But he pointed out to me, he said, do you remember George Bush's first term? What was he pushing for? We got to open up the borders and soften the laws. These are crazy. And the Democrats, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. He showed me all these, all these articles, and they were like, "You can't do that. You're going to take jobs from poor, hardworking, you know, Americans." And blah blah blah. And it was the Republicans pushing for, no, no, no. And we're a country of immigrants. 
And then the talking point changed. And you didn't get the memo. Uh, and I didn't get the memo. But all of a sudden it went the other way. Uh, now it's Democrats saying, let them all in. And Republicans, guys, they don't care either way. <laughs> you and I have to care and say, yeah, we need you here and we want you here. And we want it to be a just and safe system that brings you in. Um, and in the end, we want to remember every person we encounter, wherever they're from, is, is a human. Isn't that cool? So, uh, I, oh my, did I go over? What time? Did, oh, is it, what time does it? Oh, I thought it said 108. Okay. So I do have a meeting. Um, are there, can I, uh, do we have any? No? No, no questions. Great. Or yes, question. Okay. So what we'll do, first I'll take a drink of water brought to you by Heinz. Makers of delicious ketchup water. Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. You know what I do miss? Speaking of Mexico, whenever I go to Mexico, because I have a villa there, I wish. Uh, wouldn't that be funny? I have a villa there. Uh, they make this, they make two things that I am goofy for and I can't get anywhere here. One is atole. Uh, if you've never had atole, ask me what it is. What is it? I have no idea. <laughs> but I drink it and drink it and drink it so and drink. drink it. Yeah, it's a hot drink. Oh, a hot drink. Uh, they have this vanilla one. That's what I want out of life. Okay. Um, but it's nowhere. Like, I've gone into Mexican places. Do you have a tole? And I swear, almost every time, if it's a Latino answering, they go, no. Like, they're sad. <laughs> no, I wish we had it. Uh, and the other is they have water. Now, hear me out. And I don't know how to explain this. It tastes like rice. And it's so good. Oh, my gosh. So both drinks, one hot, one cold. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, because I think we all know the Mexican foods. Yeah, yeah. Right? You may be familiar with something called a quesadilla. <laughs> you can put chorizo on it. Um, okay, so Christina says, Atole. My Christina? No. Oh. To Christina Barber? Yeah, Barba. Oh, oh, my, so that's my little okay. sister. Oh, okay. Love you. Atole is a rice milk with cinnamon and sugar. And it go, belongs in my belly, but no one has but it here. That's my little sister. Do you know that? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I see what my you're My little angel. Yeah. I love you, sissy. Um, I can't tell you how much I love that girl. You would not believe. Like, you know how you meet people and they've overcome a lot and they make sure you know? No, you'd never know. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I love that girl. Um. Yeah, Chrissy, I know what it is, but I don't have it here, right? Right now, it's here in my head, but it's not here in my belly. And one of the ingredients, I don't know how to pronounce it, palancio or pilancio, I don't know how to say it. I can never find it. I've gone to Mexican grocery stores and found it, because that's a key ingredient to this. But I don't know what to do with it. It's hard as a rock, and it says, add it to the blender. And I put in there, I ruined a blender trying to make this. It says, just blend it. And I threw it in the blender, and I pushed, like, the nuclear button. And it just, and then that thing didn't even change. And my little tines on my blender were like, no! And they were bent, and I, oh, it didn't go well. I even tried one time, this is true, this was in Hudson, because it was a Mexican grocery store in Adria, and I found Pilancio, and I, I put it in a baggie and hit it with a hammer. I tried that, and it blew oh, yeah, up the baggie. Melt it. 
Oh. I didn't think of that. The drink's hot. Yeah. I mean, it was just like a rock. And I don't know if it's Pilancio or Pilancio. I don't know. I could only look at the spelling. But when I was in Pátzcuaro, I was there for three months in Mexico. And every morning, there was this older gal who would sit on her front porch with a bucket of it. And I would just come. And she just learned by the end. Just give me the bucket. I will give you a million dollars and I will pour it all over my body. <sighs> it was thick, gooey, almost like oatmeal. Oh. And, oh. Oh. She gave me one. Christina will appreciate this. Uh, and it was menudo flavor. She, she kept saying menudo. And it wasn't menudo. Uh, I mean, I know menudo. What she apparently meant was it is scorching hot. Okay. Like spicy hot, like the kind of hot where I bled out my eyeballs <laughs> and it was not as good as the vanilla okay. and they had chocolate and they got pss, vanilla. There you go. So tomorrow, Sean Larkin, who is not from Mexico, who I want to be an immigrant, he's from across the pond, he's from across the pond and you can hear again, you're like, are you from England? No, <laughs> I'm faking it. Now you'll hear him and you'll think, oh my gosh, he's faking that accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is Richard here today or Patricia? Um, okay, so uh, what are we doing? Do you remember? We're going to say prayer. Okay, that's right. Um, uh, come Holy Spirit. Tomorrow is Sean, and I'm so excited for that. Uh, and then Friday is our question and answer. And then on Sunday, I'm leaving on a jet plane. I know when I'll be back again. Is that Carpenter's? Is it? With the skinny little drummer no, girl? it's, uh, hold on. I don't know. I can't even believe Okay. Up on that. I probably shouldn't have said skinny little drummer girl. Because didn't she die of, like, anorexia or something? Okay, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Uh, John Denver, of course. That's John Denver? Yes, it is. I feel like I lost man points. <laughs> I do. I know I lost redneck points, but I can get those back. with a, but, okay. I mean, I think it was also somebody... Peter, Paul, and Mary. Ugh. Oh, you know, Jeff Rose is my best friend on earth and we don't agree on anything. And he loves like Peter, Paul, and Mary. And I just like, I, I, when we're in the truck, I want to put on a documentary and he wants folk music and I want to die. <laughs> so we just talk the whole time. <laughs> That's hilarious. But did you tell everybody that Father Jeff did a... The TikTok thing? Yeah. With the, okay, so I don't totally understand this reality. I And I misinterpreted the data. So Jeff will send me TikTok videos where he is singing with another person. What I, I did not understand until recently, they are not aware of him. Right. right? They, do it they sing something and say, you sing with me or something. I don't know. But then that last dude. Michael Buble. Michael Buble loved what Jeff did. Yeah. Uh, Jeff is, Jeff can do anything. I'm serious. I'm convinced he could build a nuclear bomb if you gave him a book and some free time. Yeah. Uh, but he decided he was going to learn whatever that witchcraft is on TikTok. <laughs> what are we doing on TikTok? We were going to do what, something. I know. We're going to do the potato chip thing. But there was week, something else. So we can post it while you're gone. Do you remember? And we're going to also do on TikTok your story about the barista. <gasps> yeah, we got to talk about my girl, my, my wife-to-be. <laughs> She's got to be Catholic. All right. And she has to be ready for the fact that if Rachel Weiss 
proposes, I'm out. You know, that's just science. Um, we you gotta, know, we gotta wrap it up. Oh, that's right. Okay, salad pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus, help us follow you because you're worth it. And help us to see the beauty of virtue, not the utilitarian nature of it. We ask that you save everybody. Get everybody home to you. Get the whole family home. And Lord, if there's any people around us who have so hardened their heart to sin that they couldn't accept your love, we're asking for a miracle breakthrough. We ask that you break through. And if it's in us, Lord, if there's a block in us, we give you permission to smash right through that barrier and hold our hearts in your precious hands. And Father, you know how many of your children are trying to get away from horror and poverty and find new hope in a new land. Please be with them and, and change our hearts so that beyond the practical necessity of them as, as, as workers or citizens, beyond even that, we say, well, they're your kids. And so we love them and they're worth our sacrifice. And for all of those in the Byzantine labyrinth of our immigration policies, Lord, get them through, get them through. And thank you for the people who took our ancestors in. And, and you know what, Lord, while we're doing it, please heal the wounds of our Native American peoples for the horrors we inflicted on them and for the horrors they endure today and the echoes of our bad decisions and our inhumane treatment. Oh, Jesus, we just want to love you and each other well. Give us the strength to do so. Oh, and Lord, on a completely ridiculous note, thank you that it's National Hot Dog Day. Okay, Lord, you know those people that we love so much and we worry about. And you know all the circumstances that we fret about. We ask that. We give them all to you because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, my Kung Fu is strong. And I will see you beautiful people tomorrow with my guest from England who has a fake accent. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.